0: Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelley Chopra. The series is for healthcare leaders and organizations navigating the journey to value-based care and the ever-changing landscape of our healthcare industry. And that could not hold more true than the times we are in right now. Our goal in this series is to bring to you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations leveraging our experience, and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. And before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episodes and other questions that are top of your mind. With that, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Dan Marino, managing partner at Lumina and an industry thought leader for value-based care.
1: Dan, welcome. Hi, Shelley. Good to talk with you again.
0: Then our healthcare organization's the leaders um, are navigating the recovery from the financial impact of COVID-19 pandemic. States have gone through opening phases. They are leveling out their volumes. For some, the number of COVID cases are on decline, and yet for others, they remain constant or even on the rise. And then there is, of course, the lingering concern of a potential second wave in fall. In parallel, our hospital leaders, particularly our financial and business leaders, are grappling with the lost revenue the pandemic has had on the hospital operations, the shifted payer mix, and overall the negative impact on the bottom line margin. As I reflect upon our conversations with various healthcare leaders across the country, the biggest challenge they're facing is how do they recover and sustain through this recovery phase? How do they potentially recapture some of the lost revenue while they're building up their volumes back up again? And what are some of the opportunities to optimize the cost and expenditure? Essentially, they're all being challenged to do more and more with what they have. And finally, how do they support their clinical staff, their providers on the burnout and the angst in working in this environment, for this change is not a short-term change it is almost redefining how we operate and work in the new normal. What have you been hearing as you talk with the healthcare leaders across the country? this really continues to be the most important challenge that our industry is facing. Your thoughts
1: yeah, you're absolutely right Shelly um, this is this continues to be the number one issue that physicians and hospital leaders are grappling with. you know many have them many of them have seen you know, the surge in the elective cases, um, which has been good. So they've been able to get some additional volume, some additional revenue in the door. But now as we kind of transition into the summer, we're starting to level off and we're entering into a new norm. And, you know, as as you pointed out, many of the hospital leaders are still asking the question of, you know, what is our new staffing mix, for instance, need to look like? What is our how do we recoup or continue to? generate revenue to meet our debt obligations. Um, and then probably the most important thing is continuing to support our clinical and provider community. You know, from what you're hearing, it is really taking an emotional toll on on physicians, on providers. Um, so, you know, those I think are are really the big issues that uh, we're hearing across the industry. Shelly, I'm really excited today to invite a panel um, to our podcast to really discuss a lot of these issues. I'd like to introduce Kathy Nigerian. Kathy assisted us a couple episodes back, I believe episode 17, where she talked about some suggestions that organizations can begin to think through as they recover their revenue. She is a national expert in managed care contracting, and I know in that episode she provided some great insights in terms of how organizations could start to recapture some revenue. And then, as well, Rick Howard. Uh, Rick is a former chief data officer, has done a lot of work with organizations on uh, identifying the data and insights that are important to expand businesses, but probably most important to drive down cost. And lastly, Dr. Do- Dr. George Maisel. uh If you recall, Dr. Mazel did join us a couple episodes back. I believe it was episode 16 where he spent some time talking about physician burnout and the impact of COVID on physician wellness. Welcome everybody. Really excited to have you as part of our discussion today. Kathy, maybe we could start with you. I I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts for a couple of minutes on what you're seeing from organizations um, now that they've kind of moved past the the surge in, in elective cases um, We're still hearing that, you know, the the gross revenues, the volumes haven't quite returned. So there is still a a revenue gap. What are you hearing from hospitals or from leaders in terms of, you know, what their thoughts are and maybe some additional suggestions on, you know, what what folks are doing to close that revenue gap?
2: Sure, Dan and Shelley, glad to be here today. In talking to the financial leaders of organizations, um, they're still very concerned. The volumes are not back anywhere near what they would have been in the summertime last year. Uh, Recent studies show that the volumes are still down 20 to 40% from May of June of last year. Um, So hospital leaders are looking at every creative option they can, with the main thing being, find a way for the patients to feel comfortable and safe to come back to the hospitals, to come back to your other facilities. For larger organizations that have multiple settings of care, you're in a better position because you can bring your patients in to some of your off-site clinics, ambulatory sites. You're not bringing them to the main hospital, which is still housing COVID patients. For other organizations that are solo hospitals, that's a little bit harder since it's all housed in one organization. So I think you see challenges there. Um, as I'm talking to the financial leaders and they're still looking at significant shortfalls in their revenue, I'm encouraging them to reach out to their payer partners As we've seen from a lot of the news, the payers still have the premiums coming in. They're getting their revenue, and they are in a position where they can help the provider organizations. Um, So that's really been my strongest advice is the payers can't help everybody. They're not going to proactively go out there and just say, we want to give you this, you know, additional dollars. I think they're looking to partner with people, creative solutions. In my opinion, this is the best chance to start the legwork, start the movement to value-based care, where you can get some dollars in the door that are not tied to fee-for-service. So, if a second surge hits in the fall or the winter, if you can start having some dollars tied to things other than volume, that's going to at least have some padding and have some protective revenue available for your organization.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, having the provider organizations reach out to the payers, having these discussions, I think, is key. And as you said you know, the payers are, from a financial standpoint, you know, I think they're still doing pretty well. And I think they owe it to the healthcare industry to really begin to partner with them. You know, as I was talking to a recent CFO, one of the things that um, that he had brought up is he's seen a shift inside of service. This both could be a good thing for healthcare because, you know, if we're able to perform some of these services, say in outpatient or more ambulatory as opposed to inpatient, it reduces the overall cost of care, but it does impact the revenue stream, especially if it's not been budgeted or, you know, if you've already thought about your staffing model based on inpatient, then you're shifting to outpatient based on the shift in site of service, it does, you know, you're not going to get the margin. Any thoughts with that? Is that, is that a place where organizations could begin to start as they have these conversations with their payers?
2: Yes. Uh, that was actually one of the first things I thought about when the virus hit is how your revenue needs to flow with the shift inside of service. So today you kind of have a hierarchy where you're paid. Typically the most and most profitable services are paid, For your inpatient and outpatient hospital, and then the dollars decrease in the dollars per case when you move to any kind of ambulatory or physician office setting. So even if it's a short-term strategy, the payers have been receptive to changing the reimbursement. If you're doing more of your surgeries now in an ambulatory surgery center than the outpatient hospital, they are willing for a period of time to move the dollars to be equivalent to what you would have gotten on the hospital side. So I think there are the potential there for that, but I think this is a positive. The payers have put a lot of pressure on providers over the last two years to move stuff to the appropriate setting of care. They have authorizations, other policies in place where they're simply denying care in the tertiary hospital. So I think this is actually going to force hospitals to finally develop their ambulatory strategy, especially academic medical centers, that has everything in the hospital. And I think our my other colleagues can talk about from a cost standpoint, that's going to be very positive if you can move the care to the appropriate, most efficient cost setting.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think as you start to, to see those changes, hospitals need to capitalize on it. They need to capitalize by having those discussions with the payers. And as you said, thinking about how their strategy needs to really shift, and maybe this is the right time to really think about that that ambulatory care strategy that would incorporate a lot of that sh- those shifts inside of service, but in doing that, i can't help but think that you know the data and the information to really understand what that impact is it, is critical to it right I mean without having that level of information that that knowledge it's it's hard to really have an informed conversation with the payers Rick, I, I want to bring you into the discussion you know um our last episode when you joined us, uh, you spent a lot of time talking about the data and, and how that data needs to be pulled together to create these level of insights to really drive down costs. What are you hearing right now in terms of how organizations could start to, you know, get their arms around what this data is so they truly understand what this impact is? And probably most important thing, create them, create a, a situation where You know, they have information that they can leverage through discussions.
3: Yeah, Dan, thank you so much for that. And and I agree. Organizations are struggling with the cost to to deliver care today. And some of the solutions to these challenges have been furloughs, reductions in force, et cetera. But in order to truly get your hands around where your costs are exceeding what they should, you really need to get a little deeper into your cost structure and understand where you have the problems associated with that cost. For example, we take a look at the differences, and you can do this on a DRG basis, the differences in how many radiology tests are ordered by physician. If you've got a fairly significant gap between physician A and physician B, you're staffing to support that gap. You're buying materials to support that gap today. If you have sufficient data to understand what that looks like, you have the opportunity to have those discussions with physicians and see if you can't optimize um, the model, always with an eye towards the quality of care being delivered. But optimize that model to take a look at where do you have the appropriate level of staffing and where do you have excess staffing, and in converse to that, in other areas where you have too little staffing, and you're challenging yourself with respect to not having enough resources.
1: So when you're thinking about the different care models and the delivery of care, you know the way that. Um, I kind of think about it, and as I've had discussions with industry leaders, you know, especially over the last couple of weeks, they're always thinking about, well, you know, the impact of COVID and what we're dealing with now and comparing that to pre-COVID. So when you think about changes to that care model, when you think about, say, even shifts to, you know, the staffing model, what the new staffing really should be, what are some of the data elements that, that organizations really have to hone in on? If there's a couple of really key things that they're focusing on to really identify where they can probably take, make the biggest impact on, on cost right now, where do you think that would be?
3: Well, I mean, we know from the guidelines and from now experience those populations that are at the higher risk from a, from a COVID episode. So, Pulling that data, understanding our patient population against that stratification, and then, quite frankly, taking pre- preemptive approaches to understanding those patients and managing those patients, including their expectations, which could include venue of care location, uh, would, be in, would be instrumental in doing this. But you're going to have to get into your EMRs. You're going to have to look at your problem list. You're going to have to look at your age-related patients. And do that stratification appropriately so that you can be prepared for that and be prepared with the appropriate venue of care as opposed to everybody heading to the hospital upon symptoms. That would be a right. way to manage that cost structure.
1: Right. So you're really looking at it from a you know from the reduction of cost perspective on how you can be more efficient. But I think if I'm hearing you right, it's really on an eye towards creating value-based care, right, positioning for these, you know, additional value-based care contracts. And and Kathy, I, I think these are one of the things that you've talked about, right? So this is an opportunity to look at your cost model and really think about then as you're having these discussions with the payers, how you leverage that into either current or future value-based care discussions, so you can, you know, identify some additional revenue opportunities.
2: Yes, um, Rick has hit it exactly where we need to go. I think this is the momentum to really move organizations forward with value-based care and even starting with the COVID population as a new population that you need to manage and outreach and do your care coordination. Uh, the payers are very receptive right now to any type of value-based strategy. So I think the payers um, and providers coming together, and even if it starts with basic care coordination fees, that can be applied to this new population. Another, you know, exciting area is obviously telehealth. And there are no dollars already in place between payers and providers for telehealth because it just simply wasn't something that was in place. The payers were working with national organizations. So I think telehealth is a great strategy that links to population health and your care navigators and management. And again, there is not necessarily fees available. That's something the providers need to negotiate with the payers. But, yes, all of this op- opens up the door for opportunities in the value-based care arena and really starting to get prospective payments into your organization.
1: Dr. Mizell, I, I want to bring you into the discussion real quick. So as we're, we're talking about creating a situation where helping organizations recover some of these revenues, and, you know, Kathy brought up a couple of good suggestions, and then obviously the care models are shifting and changing. And the cost structure obviously is changing, but physicians are are really the most critical part of all this, right? They're the ones that are delivering the care. Where are physicians at right now? Where are they? What are they thinking about as we're moving past the big surge in in the COVID cases and entering into the summer months? And oh, by the way, we're really worried about what's going to happen in the fall. What are you hearing right now? Where where are they at in terms of being able to Um, you know,
4: create some sense of normalcy for them. Well, uh, thanks, Dan. Again, uh, honestly, I'm hearing nothing good. Um, I think we have to look back and think pre-COVID, the industry, physician industry and nursing and other healthcare providers were really spinning toward burnout and frustration with all the things that were going on in healthcare, um, all predating this crisis. So um, things were not looking good then. And then the crises happen, and then we sort of divide physicians and healthcare providers kind of into two camps. There's the one camp who are in the hospital, working in the ER, ICU, other hospital, that, you know, just high levels of stress, putting on PPE every day, forced to be not only the, the patient's treating docs and providers, but also um, surrogates for their family since no visitation was allowed. So very difficult situation, long, long, tough, stressful, emotional days, and just a lot of stress going along with that. Then we had that second group who really were in the outpatient space, and what they saw was decreasing salaries, decreasing patient volumes, furloughed staff. Some cases they were actually terminated from positions from hospitals because they couldn't afford to keep them on salary. So the RVU payment model for them was really – not working because their income went way down. And then, of course, both groups had the same stressors that all of us had in dealing with family and quarantine and risk of illness and all those other things that go along with that, as well as those financial risks, which were, frankly, um, fairly new for physicians. So very difficult situation. Now that we're in sort of the post-spike area of COVID, we're seeing that stress play out as PTSD as folks looking for career changes, folks thinking about retirement, folks thinking about career changes, just a lot of frustration out there. And of course, the problem is we're seeing that this COVID is not going away. So then we get on top of that and we have to remember that on top of the, sh- the initial burnout push, there's stress and now there's continued stress. And all this really, besides being very difficult physicians in the healthcare, We have to make sure we tie it back to the topic here, and this really contributes to the margin and mission of the the facilities. When physicians are stressed and frustrated and you see turnover, you see um, lower productivity, and, in fact, you also see issues with higher mistakes and safety and other issues, um, it directly impacts not only the quality experience but also the cost and margin of these facilities. So at some point we're going to have to address the human element of all this in a very direct way, starting pre-COVID, but also thinking about this new added stressor um, that has to be dealt with. And again, I think everybody's been so busy that this is an area that really hasn't been addressed as aggressively as it needs to be.
1: I agree with you, George. And you know, I tell you, as you as you were thinking, you know, I've been in administ- hospital administration for all of my career, and from an operations standpoint, you think about creating dashboard reports to measure where your volume is, where your revenue is. You create these dashboard reports to really manage where the costs are. It sounds like we need some way of being able to measure the emotional impact of COVID-19 on our provider community. So we can begin to anticipate, you know, identify if there are potential issues and be able to adjust and really be able to provide A level of emotional support to our providers before it really spins out of control I think it it, to be able to create that and you know I'm not sure if it's through the data or if it's through other indicators but we have to get out in front of that to provide the right level of support to our providers
4: no absolutely agree there are a number of measures you can measure burnout there's a number of inventories you can measure engagement physician engagement and then you can also measure some indirect things, such as physician turnover and other things, which will give you some idea of, of sort of where your starting point, And then, obviously, um, you, you only change what you measure. So getting a baseline and, a met, and metrics is probably the first step. Well, let me bring Rick back in on the discussion. Rick, you know, when you were
1: with your other health system as the chief data officer, did you um, did you tackle these issues? Did you think about or were any of your providers considering some level of indicators to help to, to maybe manage if physicians were experiencing a level of burnout or dissatisfaction or, or something in that regard?
3: Oh, absolutely, Dan. We, we took a look at, we did surveys, we did, I mean, we did a number of things to try to gather information so that we could start to understand any patterns around what George is talking about, where we're seeing burnout on the ambulatory side and certainly with primary care where you were seeing burnout was was the continued push for more and more patients on a daily basis um, we were also looking at situations where physicians were unable to, to finish out their clinical notes within their EMR systems by the end of the workday and many of them were spending several hours in the evenings to close out their their records for the patients that they had visited that day so we were looking at how do we how do we build a modified workflow and understand things. It could be anything from registration and scheduling. Do we have the right flow? Are we paying enough attention to uh, no-shows, to patient-canceled appointments, even to physician-canceled appointments? Are we understanding the the patterns that fall behind those? And what can we do to support our ambulatory group with a more optimized approach to that? We were also looking at taking time-based studies on the internal staffing models of each of our clinics to see Are we spending too too, too much or too little time at a particular station in order to effectively manage the patient and keep everybody in in that clinic uh, appropriately busy, but yet have a flow that would be satisfying to the physicians and to the staff of that clinic? So, yeah, we did look at those things. Did we make some impact? We did. Did we make the impact we wanted? Not yet.
1: That's interesting. I mean, wouldn't that be great if we came up with sort of as an industry kind of these wellness indicators? So you're able to identify um where providers are in terms of their level of uh of burnout of dissatisfaction, and you know how we can almost improve and and really focus on improving wellness in the care that they're they're delivering George, let me turn it back to you you know um final comments um you know as a, as a physician and I know you you know you work with a number of physicians around the country you know is there is there particular advice that you can offer some of our our provider listeners or physician listeners that to kind of help them kind of get through these next couple of months, knowing that it is going to be a little bit of a challenge for them?
4: Yeah, I think um, it is a challenge, and I think a lot of it is is by looking ahead, by talking to your peers. Um, I think a lot of the things uh, that Rick talked about um, are great avenues, looking at at flow and peer and workflow because, again, physicians love taking care of patients. What they don't like is the things that don't let them take care of patients efficiently. So to the extent we can look at those things and bring those to to the forefront, um, that's what's going to make patients and physicians satisfied. So we really want to move from measuring burnout to measuring really engagement, and then ultimately we want to bring back the joy into medicine. I think um, with, with all this challenge, there's also some awesome opportunity. I think we've seen a resurgence of professionalism for both nurses and physicians, which um, I think the public has recognized um, that we're not just PCPs anymore. We're physicians and nurses and other healthcare providers and physicians and other healthcare providers willing to put their health and safety at risk. And I think that's been recognized. So I think there's a lot of positive that, that have come out of this as well. And I think we need to take that, um, look at it carefully, get some metrics, um, look ahead at what's possible. I think this is a great opportunity to look at different payment models, which may bring in value-based payment, which really rewards a different type of behavior, which I think is more satisfying. But I think we also, looking back, we say maybe it's a better mousetrap. So I think there's a lot of opportunities ahead um, that maybe we've reached a tipping point for.
1: Yeah, I agree George and I particularly like your your comment on bringing back the joy of medicine. I think that's something that as a healthcare community we all really need to try to do. So I think in closing, I really want to thank the panel. Great discussion today. I think my biggest takeaway is when organizations are really, you know, as as they think about improving their margin, they have to take a very holistic approach, focusing on you know how we can have different discussions with the payers and improve our revenues, managing the costs and understanding the impact of costs, um, and then also to George, and, and probably the most important thing is really thinking about the impact of the physicians and focusing on bringing back that joy of medicine. I think that's uh, that was a key takeaway. So, Shelley, um, you know, excited about our discussion today. I think we all have a lot of work to do. But I'm confident that, you know, if, if organizations can lean on one another and focus on some of the key things that are going to drive these change, I think together we're going to start to see a lot of improvement and a lot of support as we get past, you know, all of these COVID challenges.
0: Absolutely. What a wonderful discussion. And I always appreciate great uh, practical insight from my colleagues, Kathy Jerry and Rick Howard, and Dr. Maisel. To our listeners, if you want to learn more about insights provided by our three panelists, please visit our website, www.luminahp.com. You can find various thought leadership articles on our website. On there, you'll also find our um, series of financial recovery from COVID by Kathy Najarian and Dan Marino and additional information on our services related to the financial recovery um, during these times. We want to thank you for listening into value-based care podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina are your partners on the journey to value-based care. To learn more about us, visit us on luminahp.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And don't forget to leave us feedback. As I mentioned, you can also find additional blogs about leadership on this topic and transcript of our podcast episode at our website, numinahp.com. And join us again next time, where we continue to deep dive into topics that are top of your mind as we all navigate these uncertain times of recovering from the pandemic and preparing ourselves to survive and thrive in the new normal. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.